Testing. Is this thing on? Well, well, well. Look at who wants to do a podcast again. That should probably be listen to who wants to do a podcast again, right? Okay, let's get after it. Thank you for listening. My name is Ian Castleberry. I'm a writer, editor, and podcaster. You can currently find my work at iancastleberry.com. That's C-A-S-S-E-L-B-E-R-R-Y. Awful announcing and, well, here. No, your podcast app is not glitching. A mistake hasn't been made. Well, unless you thought you unsubscribed. This is indeed a new episode of the podcast. Yes, I really do have a podcast. It's not just something that gets mentioned now and then. I didn't just decide to do one while in quarantine. Back after a far longer absence than I intended. I didn't intend there to be any absence since the last podcast, other than maybe the week between Christmas and New Year's Day, if that gives you any idea. I certainly didn't think it would be 2020 the next time I sat down at this mic, let alone a quarter of the way through the year. And who would have guessed that the world would be a very different place in just a matter of weeks? I hope you're doing well, and those you love are safe and healthy too. If you're dealing with COVID-19 directly, I'm very sorry, and hope you're getting through this and receiving the support you need. Yes, it apparently took a devastating global pandemic to get me back at the mic and record a new podcast. And even then, it's been four weeks or so into self-isolation. Or is it five weeks? I really don't remember now. Under sheltering at home, there's plenty to do in the house. No, I haven't suddenly become handy, and I'm not baking. Yet. But I have no reason to be bored. For one thing, I'm still working, and I'm certainly grateful for that. Many people aren't, and I doubt you could call sports writing essential. Since we all went into shutdown mode, I've had a few friends ask me if I still had a job since there were no live sports to cover and no movies showing. I'm still writing regularly for Awful Announcing. Even though our beat, sports media, is kind of niche, we've had plenty to write about during the sports industry's shutdown. Unfortunately, a lot of the news has been bad. Basketball, hockey, and baseball have postponed their seasons, and we don't know if they'll come back this year. I'll have more on that later with the sports radio segment. Many outlets have had to furlough or lay off staffers. We've covered broadcasters, reporters, and others working in media who contracted COVID-19. Some athletes have as well. TV networks like ESPN have desperately tried to find anything to fill schedules that would have been filled with college basketball, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, and baseball games. So instead, we have NBA stars playing video games and horse on TV. Oof. We can cover all of that stuff for content, and it's been a compelling challenge to be creative, something I've enjoyed. But this week should be a pretty big one, with ESPN moving up the premiere of its 10-part Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary, The Last Dance. We'll also have the NFL Draft, And with everything needing to be done remotely, including NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell announcing selections from his basement, that could be intriguing to watch simply out of curiosity. Yet, 
Ad revenues are definitely drying up and hours have been cut. The longer the sports shutdown goes, I don't know if we'll be able to keep going. Right now, there's enough happening to fuel content. But if we get into June and July with no sports, and if we have a fall without football, it'll be rough. I've been trying to prepare myself for an end that could be coming. And yeah, with no new movies being released and theaters closed, there's nothing to review. The publication I write for, Asheville's Mountain Express, has been hit hard by the lack of ad revenue. Bars, restaurants, breweries, and live music venues are closed and aren't buying ads. So Mountain X has had to cut staff, though it's still putting out a weekly paper. My editor, Edwin Arnodin, is still there, so hopefully he brings us back when the budget allows for it. But who knows what the paper will look like if and when things to return to normal. Some, if not most of those places, won't be coming back on the other side of this. But... I'm still generating an income, which feels fortunate. And I've been working from home for more than 10 years, so there hasn't been much of a transition for me. Early on, those who portrayed themselves as experts in working from home were amusing. Oh, and annoying. There's work, and you do it. Maybe you can do it without pants, but you still have to do your job. I don't have kids at home, so I don't need to homeschool anyone. Had my sister not moved further away last summer, I probably would be watching my nieces most days. And Uncle Ian, school teacher, probably wouldn't be beneficial for those children. I bet my dad would have loved to see it, though. Karmic revenge for all of those summers when he made me do math exercises and I whined about it. Actually, dad would have been a great homeschool teacher for those kids. I did wonder if my nieces were keeping any kind of journal while sheltered at home and not going to school. And the school year is over now. Are they even going to remember going through this? Do they understand how weird all of this is? My six-year-old niece was in kindergarten this year and probably thinks the school year only goes to March. My sister says they've written a couple of things for school, but aren't keeping a journal. I know some of my friends are having their kids do so, though. One of my Facebook friends wondered if he should be keeping a journal while he was reading Eric Larson's The Splendid and the Vile, And my first thought was, yeah, okay, Hemingway, get over yourself. But then it occurred to me that maybe I should keep a journal for my nieces. Maybe I should try to explain to them what's going on and how none of the adults they know have ever seen anything like this pandemic in their lifetimes. I can hear them eight to ten years from now. Uncle Ian, weren't you a writer? Why didn't you write anything about this? I'm sure their parents are doing the best they can, but they also have their heads down while trying to keep everything together and maintain some sense of normal while juggling work and having their kids home all day. So for the past three weeks, I've been trying to do that. I don't know how good a job I've been doing, and who knows if those kids will ever read these journals, but I try to imagine what this must be like for them, how it might have looked or felt to me when I was nine years old or six years old. My childhood was different from theirs. I had more friends living nearby. We always went out to play by ourselves. Being kept inside without seeing my friends may have bothered me more. These girls are used to playing at home amongst themselves, though I'm sure they miss going to school, having their own space, and seeing their friends, people besides their parents and their grandmother. Obviously, they must be missing their Uncle Ian, too. The youngest one named her toy monkey Butt Cheeks. 
I say butt cheeks. I don't want you to say that, okay? Hey. That's my niece. So maybe I'll read some stuff from those journals if I think there's anything worth sharing or I hit on something profound. I have my moments, especially to kids. You know, this quarantine has really revived my enjoyment of social media. I realize that's not the same for everybody, especially when dealing with those who think this COVID-19 crisis is some overblown media creation. I haven't encountered too much of that other than in responses to other people's posts. But I've enjoyed the lists. The 10 albums and 10 days thing on Facebook. I was unwillingly tagged into that one, but eventually liked thinking about albums that influenced my musical taste, like The Replacements, Tim, or The Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex, Magic. And I was able to share the pain by tagging others. Also, there's that 30-day song challenge on Twitter. No, I haven't shared my senior high school photo, and I will not. Nor any pictures of me when I was 20 years old because I'm too damn lazy to look for them, and I'm so old that I wouldn't have them on my phone. Who I'm really grateful to is George Sippel, the former Detroit Free Press sports writer who now works for the Novi Community School District in Michigan. George has been posting top five lists on Twitter throughout the COVID-19 shutdown, five favorite Detroit Tigers, five favorite Lions, five favorite Red Wings, five favorite Michigan and Michigan State football players and basketball players. Now he's branching out into TV and music, five favorite sitcoms, five favorite Van Halen songs, etc. Every time he posts a list, I respond with one of my own. It's been something I've looked forward to every day, bringing me a small touch of joy I really appreciate. Like most everyone else, if I get stir-crazy, I take a walk. Fortunately, I live in a place that has some nice surrounding scenery. Trees, plants, a river, geese walking around. It could be worse. And it's pleasant and peaceful enough that you wouldn't guess a pandemic is happening. As is the case with many of you, I presume, one of the bright sides of this has been getting to know my neighbors better, meeting some of them for the first time. From a proper social distance, of course. With the windows open, I can hear my neighbor blasting Elton John as I write this. It's nice. But is it in your conscience that you're after? Not the bounce of the madman. I've done a lot of the cleaning, unpacking, and organizing that I put off for months after moving into my new place. I have more books than I'll probably ever read, a near full DVR, many movies and TV shows to catch up on. Yet I haven't binged on movies and TV like I thought I would have. I haven't watched Tiger King like most everyone else I know. I did watch Tiger Tail this weekend, however, also on Netflix a movie about a Chinese man looking back on his life and what he sacrificed while he tries to salvage the relationship with his adult daughter. Alan Yang, who's mostly known for writing comedy like Master of None and Parks and Recreation, wrote and directed this. It's an impressive first movie, which feels like an independent drama and foreign film. Though some might consider it too slow, and I wanted more from the story overall. Yet I also like that it left me to think and imagine where the characters went after the credits rolled. 
But more than watching movies and TV with stay-at-home free time, I've been doing a lot of reading. Unfortunately, it's not reading books so much as reading the news and just continually rubbing my face in news about the harsh consequences of COVID-19. All of the reported cases, the deaths, the continuing struggle to get enough testing out there, the awful, soul-crushing circumstances nurses, doctors, and hospitals are dealing with, how the government and Emperor Cheeto ignored the warnings until it was too late, the constant fights he's picking with governors who are actually doing their jobs, and his narcissistic need to be viewed as a hero when he's actually done nothing that should be expected from a leader and chief executive. Uh-oh. There we go into politics. Okay, I'll stop. You probably didn't tune in for that. If I've lost you, I understand. And I'll live with it. If you know me or follow me on social media, you know which side I'm on. I admit that I should give myself a break and seek more escape from the news, so much of which is bad for my mental well-being, but I can't help it. I watch more of those daily press briefings than I should and yell at the TV constantly. I watch Chris Hayes on MSNBC almost every night and feel like I'm in church. I've tuned in for a lot of the Cuomo family sitcom on CNN with Chris Cuomo interviewing his brother Andrew, the governor of New York, and taking the piss out of one another. Let me ask you something. Uh, with all of this adulation that you're getting for doing your job, are you thinking about running for president? Tell the audience. No. No, you won't answer? No, I answered. The answer is no. No, you're not question. thinking about Sometimes it? Sometimes it's one word. I said no. Have no. you thought about it? No. Are you open to thinking about it? No. Might you think about it at some point? No. How can you know what you might think about at some point right now? Because I know what I might think about and what I won't think about. You're a great interviewer, by the way. Appreciate it. Learn from the best. I know. I should watch something else. Anything else that can take my mind off all of this. But I don't think I'd stop thinking about it either. Even for a little while. A childhood friend of mine contracted COVID-19 about three weeks ago, maybe going on a month now. I found out about it on Facebook, which probably says something about how we've drifted apart over the years, though we keep in touch. According to his wife, he was in really bad shape at one point, and he couldn't get the care he probably needed because the hospitals are so overwhelmed. But thankfully, nothing fatal happened because of that, and it's looking like he's gotten through the worst of it. He still has a recurring fever and coughing fits, and he still needs a lot of rest. So he has a long way to go. But I think it's now a question of if, not when, he recovers. Just this past week, I found out another of my childhood friends came down with COVID-19. He'd been quiet about it until after he recovered, but revealed what happened so anyone who might be going through something similar can go to him for support, to hear that this is something that can be overcome. It was definitely a surprise, but I understand him wanting to keep this to himself until now. I'm just glad he's okay. Among our group of four friends who were pretty close throughout grade school, middle school, high school, and college, two of us have gotten COVID-19 now. It's a sobering reminder of how this thing has spread over the past month or so. Also this past week, my colleague's father had to be hospitalized for COVID-19, and he suffers from Alzheimer's, so taking care of himself was already very difficult. Now, he's on a ventilator. My coworker has spent the past few years taking care of his father and now can't be by his side. 
it's heartbreaking. Hopefully there's a good ending to this, but sending a message doesn't feel like nearly enough to help him. Even closer to home, my sister developed a fever during the weekend when the coronavirus crisis really became serious, and it was clear we would all need to change our lives drastically. Thankfully, her fever never grew into anything more, and she got over it in a couple of days. She's been run down for a few months, never really shaking a cough or cold, and all of her kids came down with fevers and flu in early February, so it was going to get her eventually. But that was certainly a scary couple of days, and there was really nothing we could do to help, since my sister and her family moved farther away from us last August. Fortunately, she had time off because of a vacation that was canceled. She and her family were going on a cruise. Yeah. And though it was probably the flu and not COVID-19, there's no way of knowing for sure because of the lack of testing. My sister was never tested, even when she went back to work. And she works in a hospital pharmacy. Yeah. It's probably the most worried I've seen my mother since all of our lives went crazy. Speaking of my mother, I'm trying my best to keep her safe and healthy, though some might say I'm not locking her in strictly enough when it comes to stuff like grocery shopping. But she knows that her age and history with cancer and diabetes make her compromised and far more vulnerable. So fortunately, I haven't had to fight her on this very much. I thought I might have to because she's stubborn as hell. But mom already knew I was concerned about the coronavirus when it first started making news. She's Asian, so I was nervous about someone overreacting if she coughed or sneezed in public, especially during allergy season. Living in the South, albeit not in the Deep South, I've always been worried about some racist, ignorant hillbilly giving her trouble. During her time here, she's occasionally encountered what I view as slight racism, like people talking to her slowly or louder because they think she might not understand English. Maybe waitstaff or a barista immediately looks at me for help when she begins talking with a thick accent. There just aren't many Asians where we live. The Asheville area doesn't have many immigrant populations, though there is a Greek influence best demonstrated at some of the restaurants around town. As I've said to her a few times, not many people look like you here. Sometimes that helps. People remember her more easily. She's considered a regular at many of the places she goes. Part of that is because she's nice, really funny, and refreshingly outspoken at times. Maybe it's harsh of me to perceive those interactions as even slightly racist, and I should just acknowledge inexperience with other cultures, if that's what you'd call it. But I should clarify that I have not encountered any of the worst behavior that I've sometimes and probably irrationally feared. My mother wasn't hassled while trying to vote in 2016. And nobody has lashed out at her like she's some kind of coronavirus carrier just because she's Asian. If anyone has felt that way, he or she has kept it to themselves. So I feel bad about being as judgmental as I'm worried about other people being, and I need to think about that. And maybe that's one bright side, one pleasant surprise during all of this. I'm just glad I'm around to help her. 
I can't imagine being someplace else and having to deal with this over the phone, FaceTime, or whatever. Looking back, I know I wasn't being careful enough during the weekend, St. Patrick's Day weekend, when staying at home became serious and obviously necessary. We went out to a restaurant, thinking we were supporting a local business. But all of us there weren't doing proper social distancing. Thinking about it, I really could have put my mother in danger. I mean, no, we didn't go to a bar crammed in shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of people. And far too many people did. I got home from dinner that night and scrolled through Twitter and so many of my friends and people I follow were outraged at all of the St. Patrick's Day bar goers. That's when it truly occurred to me that I screwed up and was unnecessarily careless, despite being aware. We're just fortunate that neither of us got sick and I've been rightfully careful ever since. I don't think it quite occurred to my mother how serious this was becoming, despite her watching cable news constantly, until all of the things she liked to do that were part of her regular routine were shut down. No exercise at the YMCA. No going out to eat at restaurants. And, as I mentioned, I probably wasn't serious enough about those either until all of those places were ordered to close. Regular staples like bread, rice, milk, and eggs were either in short supply or completely out at the grocery store. And I insisted on shopping early in the morning when the store first opened after being properly sanitized. By the way, now everyone wants rice, huh? It's cleared out at the grocery stores. Leave some for the Asians, man. So um, when, when the poop hit the, the fan, I may have gone out and purchased uh, too much rice. Uh, part of this is because rice is really good at stretching meals. Uh, and the, other, the other thing is that rice is really great for uh, stretching dog food, um, and it's, uh, it's great for stretching meals. Yeah, thanks for taking all the rice, Alton Brown. When I was growing up as an Asian American kid, all of my friends thought it was weird that I ate rice for most meals. That was how my mother ate. It wasn't a meal without rice. It wasn't something that we'd cook from a box in a minute and soak it in butter or gravy when we had chopped suey or whatever once every few months. But that was a long time ago. People's preferences have changed. We eat a lot more Chinese and Thai food now, I think. And typical Americans have probably always eaten more rice than I realized. We certainly are now. I can't get any damn rice. The Asian woman I'm quarantined with is freaking out. We have maybe a quart of cooked rice left. She's lucky I'm supposed to eat low carb. Otherwise, we've been okay with toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and disinfectant wipes. Mom has always liked to stock up on toiletries, something my sister and I often joked about. Well, who's laughing now? And I wouldn't say we were raised to be germaphobes, but we're definitely clean freaks, so sanitizers and wipes have always been in supply. As it turns out, we were pretty well prepared for the outbreak of a potentially lethal virus and a worldwide pandemic. So would it sound better if I called this season three or volume three of the podcast? No, you're right. That would be phony, at least for this podcast. But it's about the amount of time a TV season would go from the end of season in spring to a new one in the fall. 
And it really is the third time I've tried to give this a go. Actually, the beginning of April this year marked one year since I launched the podcast. Happy anniversary? If you're new here, or can indulge me for a quick recap, I started my own podcast because I was getting frustrated with another show, a pop culture podcast I was doing with a co-host. There were several things that I wanted to talk about, but couldn't because of my co-host's lack of interest or willingness to inform himself on, well, almost everything. To be fair, though, that podcast was supposed to be a collaboration, so I created another outlet for myself. The podcast name is a play on my last name and something I'd been considering, and a sports talk radio host I used to talk with regularly ended up confirming to me that maybe I had the right idea. Fine. I'll do it myself. It probably shouldn't be a surprise that the other podcast didn't last much longer after that. The podcast was sort of born out of protest. But it wasn't a matter of me giving more attention to my thing and devoting less energy to the other thing. I just wasn't going to invest myself in something that was supposed to be a partnership, while the other half of the equation gave increasingly less effort. Alright, enough looking back. Onward and upward. Throughout this long, unintended podcasting drought, what I was most worried about was the Overcast app labeling the podcast as inactive, which happened the last time I took an extended hiatus. And unfortunately, I passed that point. The cutoff must be three months, and I slid past that a few weeks ago. You can't say you're active when you haven't posted a new podcast for a quarter of a year. So I pushed it as far as I could and now have to face my failure because of it. Nevertheless, it's exciting to be back and wonderful to have you listening. What I should have been most worried about was losing subscribers and devoted followers and even friends giving up on this podcast. I apologize. People have been checking in, notably at the podcast's Facebook page, which is at facebook.com slash the podcast. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-S. I've kept the lights on over there, but it's not the same without a new podcast to feature. I know that. Every time I get a notification, it's been a little needlepoint poke in my ass to get going again. I really appreciate those who have checked in, figuratively knocking on the window and peering in to make sure there's not a body lying on the floor. I've gotten a few emails and texts from friends wondering if they missed an episode or their podcast app wasn't updating. Nope. I was the one not updating. I think some more people have even learned about it while killing all of the extra time they now have on Facebook. So thank you for sticking with me, either because you've enjoyed what we're doing or this podcast is the only way you know how I'm doing when I know you could devote your time elsewhere. Really, it means a lot that you continue to be interested and smile politely while we try to catch up around here. Okay, let's do some radio. I'm still appearing on Asheville's Y Sports Radio three times a week during the sports shutdown. Admittedly, finding baseball topics to discuss has been a bit tough over the past few weeks. 
But Major League Baseball's various proposals for bringing the sport back, being the first major sport to play after or maybe even during the coronavirus pandemic, have provided stuff to talk about. So for a recent baseball segment, I joined Pat Ryan and former NFL and college football coach John Shoup to talk about the feasibility of MLB's proposal to quarantine all 30 teams in Arizona for what would almost certainly be a shortened season. Baseball has come up with a couple of other ideas, such as playing the season in Arizona and Florida with the Cactus and Grapefruit Leagues established for spring training. There's even been a proposal for MLB teams to play in Japan, splitting ballparks with Japanese league teams. How late would you be willing to stay up to watch baseball because of the time difference? We did this over a week ago, but everything still applies because we have no answers yet. And who knows when we will? Pat Ryan and John Shoup is in with me. Of course, our NFL go-to guy, my guest host today via the Wise Lines. John, good to have you, buddy. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, always my pleasure. And um, let's also welcome in Mr. Ian Castleberry, ready to talk some baseball headlines with us. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Fantastic. I got both you guys on the phone lines. Technically, so far, this is working out an hour one. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> I'm a, Good job. Thank you, Good John. Job. So I'm an cool. author personality, not an engineer, but I'm working it. Uh, by the way, uh, Ian's appearance is presented by our friends at Vistanet Telecommunications. So, Ian, it uh, looks like Major League Baseball is, is taking what I would consider to be a huge leap of faith. All right, so th- they've got this proposal to begin the season in May. In Arizona. So we've got lots of questions. We'll get it right to you. Let's start first, Ian, with the hurdles Major League Baseball would have to clear with health officials. Well, apparently this plan has the support of federal public health officials. I don't know all of the measures that are necessary, but if proper protocols were in place, if enough testing was available for, for all players, coaches, personnel, involved and uh, there would be uh, you know proper social distancing techniques for instance the players wouldn't sit together in the dugout they'd be spaced out uh, in the stands it would uh, umpires would wouldn't be standing right behind the catcher and the batter there would be an electronic strike zone so a umpire could maintain proper social distancing so if it was deemed safe to have even 30 40 players together on a team, including ballpark personnel, team personnel, media, apparently federal public health officials think this is a plan that is feasible and could conceivably go into effect. Wow. Shoop, when you've read this headline, what was your first thought? Well, it's a head scratcher to me. And I've said from the get-go that, you know, the NBA has really set the tone for this. And And professional sports need to model right now. They need to model what it means to social distance, to be safe, uh, to put your community uh, first. And I just can't imagine all of these players picking up, going and staying in hotel rooms in Arizona, uh, being partitioned from their family and friends for who knows how long. It just, it's a head scratcher for me, especially, you know, when just yesterday, you know, this comes out yesterday when New York City had more deaths 
than, uh, you know, their highest death total of, of all. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I'm all for sports and I want to play sports as much as anybody. But let's pump the brakes maybe on trying to push the envelope on this thing is my personal feeling. Sure. And, and Ian, we talked about this last week, you know, talking about Major League Baseball, maybe taking, uh, you know, the regular season, you know, maybe deep into October, maybe into November, December, having uh, the World sure. Series played in a neutral site uh, in, in, you know, in a dome stadium. So why do you why do you think this this sudden change? I think, well, any plan is on the table. And then the idea of having all 30 teams sequestered or quarantined in one area, you know, in the Phoenix, Arizona area. So Chase Field, where the Arizona Diamondbacks play, would be used as that. There are 10 spring training ballparks, you know, in Arizona as part of the Cactus League. There are also two college facilities, uh, including Arizona State's ballpark, uh, that could be used. I think Major League Baseball sees an opportunity or hopes for an opportunity, rubbing their hands together, thinking, hey, we could have the sports spotlight to ourselves. We could be the sport for two, three months. We could be the, the, the one thing that kind of brings everybody together and provides a distraction and a little bit of inspiration. You know, baseball played such a role after 9-11 in, in, in inspiring people and getting people to feel good about something again. And I think they want desperately to sure. play that role again. But as Coach pointed out, I just... I don't know if, if the timing on this is right and if really it's even realistic. Yeah. And hey, Ian, wh- I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Shoot. No, you go ahead. What, what, where's the players union on this? I got to imagine, you know, you've got these huge rosters of players. There's got to be some players that are looking sideways at this saying, you want us to do what? Yeah. I, uh, the players union has not come out. Tony Clark, uh, the head of the players union, for instance, hasn't spoken out as far as I know on this proposal, but you, you mentioned a key point, you know, are, are players going to go for being uh, sequestered away from their families for, for, for four months? And then, you know, the, the, the safety involved and in being, you know, sharing a clubhouse with 25 other people and team personnel uh, going through. I mean, right now what we're hearing is that players want to play. Of course they do. And of course they want to make sure. money. You know, they, they want to. So I, I think right now that that's what, what they're looking at and, and thinking about. But yeah, this idea on paper is one thing, but to actually implement it in practice, uh, I wonder if there's really been enough thought as to what all of this would involve. Yeah, it just—I mean, as everyone's trying to figure this out, and baseball certainly is just bouncing around, like you know, just all over the place at, at this point. And uh, here's the, here's an advantage for Major League Baseball guys is if let's just say they get this started in in May. And again, as Ian mentioned, at ballparks all over the Phoenix area, because that's a spring training haven. There's many ballparks out there. And since you don't have to worry about fans, you just have to worry about the field. And is it, you know, legal with with all with everything? That's not an issue. Major League clubs use it all the time. So when you talk about in May, would you rather watch a baseball game with a Major League Baseball game with no fans in the stands? And in some cities, it's not that much of a difference, Cincinnati. But if you if you look at watching a live baseball game as opposed to two NBA players playing a video game on ESPN, I think a lot of folks that by May are going to be like, I'm going to watch baseball. Uh, so that's an advantage for them. And I got to think, Ian, that was going through their minds as well as they were you know, figuring this out. Yeah, I think so. And of course, the TV networks, you know, ESPN, you know, they're, they're playing like uh, golf competitions. They desperately want some live sports. 
uh, anything. But I, you know, Shoop touched on on something that I think is important here is that is that does this send the right message? I mean, people are sequestered mm-hmm. in their homes, people are in hospitals, people are dying. Does this send the right message for people? You know, for, for baseball players to be out there playing a game, to to be taking possible resources in terms of testing and so forth from from other communities and hospitals and so forth that could use them. Not that I, I mean, I like to think Major League Baseball would be responsible and not making sure that they're diverting resources. But I just, uh, while people are quarantined, sick, dying, I just wonder if this really sends the right message. There are. Right. I know this is a Captain Obvious statement, but there are more important things to be concerned with right now. Yeah. yeah. And, there's, and there's no doubt. I mean, I would love to watch some baseball right now. <laughs> I was watching on ESPN class or Major League uh, uh, Baseball had on the 79 World Series Ooh. the other day, and I was watching it with uh, uh, my Pittsburgh Pirates, the family. I- I'd love to watch some live baseball, but I agree with you, Ann. Ann, it- it's just not sending the right message and i think professional athletes have to serve and professional sports teams have to serve as models uh for what to do in this time and it's part of the reason i'm a little bit i'm I'm significantly upset with the nfl as well um i think maybe pat the one advantage to this and in you might remember but didn't baltimore and the white Sox play a game like three years ago in baltimore without any fans and it went like in two hours. Yeah. That would have been, that might be the one best advantage that would happen without fans. Wasn't it a quick game, man? It was. It was about a two-hour game. Camden Yards was closed uh, to fans because of rioting in the Baltimore area. You're right. And it was a surreal experience. You talked to the players who played in that game. Absolutely no fans in the stands. And the game went quickly. I think that's one of the appeals of baseball possibly going through with this. Uh, you know, what would it be like uh, to have fans, uh, mm-hmm. not have fans in the ballpark? Would things move faster? You know, mound visits would not be allowed from catchers and managers because of sh- social distancing. That would take a, you know, a significant wow. chunk out of the runtime of ball games. So I think there are some, uh, Experiments, you know, the electronic strike zone. Uh, I think uh, uh, ESPN would mic up the players, you know, to try to get a little more personality yeah. and color into the game. Good idea. Uh, those things are all appealing yeah. and, and worth looking into. I, I, I get why, uh, I get the intrigue there. But is that enough to overtake the other questions we're asking? Yeah, good point. Ian Castleberry with the Wise Guys. We're talking Major League Baseball presented uh, by Vistanet Telecommunications. Um, and, and Ian, I want to get your thoughts on this because from what the little I've read of the players, there seems to be pushback on their end. And as I think you pointed out earlier here in the, in this, in the feature, you know, a lot of players don't want to leave their families for that long. They don't know what once they leave home, when are they going to be coming back? And that's a valid point. And let's face it, in many households, if, if mom ain't happy, no one's going to be happy. And that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from players. You know, another thing we haven't talked about, these games will be played in Arizona. It's hot. It's really, <laughs> really hot in the summer you say. in Arizona. The average high in July is 106 degrees, oh. even at nighttime. It's going to be in the 90s. Now, Chase Field is indoors, but every place else you're talking about playing is going to be really hot. So what what is the chance of, of player injury, dehydration, that sort of thing? That, you know, One of the things in this proposal is that rosters would be expanded 
for that reason. But I think that is a logistical point that just simply cannot be ignored. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, John. Well, I understand expanding the rosters, and I think that would be a good idea. But in how long will it take major league players to get ready? Say, say they wanted to start in the first week of May. Don't pitchers need probably three weeks to get their arms back in shape? Or what's the thought process there? No, you're exactly right. I think realistically, I mean, we're eight days into April. I think it's already too late to start this in May, unless you're maybe talking mid-May. But I think a June start would be far more realistic. Pitchers, we're coming off spring training, but typically pitchers need six weeks of spring training to get ready. Now, they're more advanced now than they were back in January or February, but they, most players have kind of shut down. You know, Managers and coaches have told their players, okay, act like it's the winner and ramp down. So I think hitters realistically need about two weeks. Pitchers might need three, even four weeks uh, to get ready mm-hmm. uh, to play for a season. So if, you know, a decision, if they really are serious about May, you'd have to make that decision almost right now. And there are just still too many questions, too much uncertainty to go ahead with that. Uh, agreed. I mean, I think now players are looking, you know, last week, again, as we talked about it, you know, last week players were thinking, okay, maybe we'll start maybe the season in, in June or July and go late, you know, late into the year. Now it's like, you know, Major League Baseball is saying, all right, you, we need to move on this really fast. Um, it's almost like they're recruiting them to go overseas or something like that. It's like, you barely have time to say goodbye to the family. Let's, let's get going and get moving on this. And um, I, yeah, I think the Players Association obviously will have the final say on this, but um, Ian, overall, I'm getting the sense, much like Shoop, you're not bonkers about this. No, no, I'm not. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I want to be optimistic. I want to see baseball, too. I certainly want to talk about baseball with you uh, on the show, but I just don't think this is realistic. I think there are too many questions, and I just don't see the priority here in terms of playing baseball uh, when, you know, our entire society, our culture is still uh, is so much uncertainty on how to deal with COVID-19 right now. I'm surprised, John, that they got the government on board with this. The Fed, at least, you know, they're, they're talking to, to federal health officials. I'm surprised because, you know, you, you, you talk to health, you see the health officials on the press conferences, you know, they're not messing around. I, I was the big thing. I, one of the big things I was surprised with when I read about this was the fact that it seemed like, you know, the, 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 the feds, not the, like the federal government and federal health officials who they have to go through for this seem to be okay with it. Yeah, it is interesting to me. Uh, and one of the things that the NFL is running into is that Gavin Newsom, the governor in California, uh, is saying, you know, he's not going to be fast to open up that state to business. Yet other states, uh, I'm thinking Florida, for example, are more akin to open up to business a lot quicker. And so in the NFL, does that put the San Francisco 49ers at odds with, say, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in preparing? And I guess that's uh, what they're really depending on is the state of Arizona being okay with this more than even the federal, the, the national government, the, the federal government. That how is the state of Arizona with all of this? And players coming from all over. I got to have feel. My son's 19 years old, and he was playing rugby over in New Zealand, and we brought him home and quarantined him. Uh, some of these young players, I. 
I can't imagine parents or wives being willing to send their loved ones out there to play right now. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the president says we're fighting in, you know, a war. Okay, well, it's almost like you're sending these guys yeah. off to war, uh, which we know it's not war in the sense of the traditional uh, war. But uh, we'll wait and see where this goes. Players Union will uh, will hear from their, their uh, constituents, if you will. And uh, certainly they, they will make the call on this. We'll see where it goes. Ian, this was fantastic. Thank you, as always, for the information and uh, the opinion as well, my friend. We'll look forward to catching up with you tomorrow for some NFL headlines. All right. Glad we could have this conversation. And uh, Coach Shoup, great talking to you. Great to meet you. And you too, Ian. You're great. Excellent. Agreed on that, Shoup. Ian, talk tomorrow, buddy. Okay, take care, guys. Awesome. All right, Ian Castleberry is with the Wise Guys and uh, Ian's appearance uh, presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. As I said, I think most of these ideas sound feasible on paper. The science of them might just work. But then you have to factor in that we're dealing with actual human beings, with lives, families, and various personal concerns and desires. And that doesn't fit in with keeping players, coaches, staff, executives, and maybe media in a bubble in what amounts to kind of a prison camp for the sake of entertainment. Is that putting it too harshly? Let's get regular society right. Let's get the country back to some semblance of normalcy before we talk about playing sports again, even if you think the return of sports would be part of that normalcy. Okay, we have so much more to catch up on, but more than we should try to fit in this first episode back. Trying to figure out what to include while catching up on the time we missed became a frequently intimidating obstacle that probably prevented me from recording over the past few months. But for this relaunch, I just needed to break the seal again and get the machinery moving, and hopefully we've done that now. So it might take me a few shows to feel comfortable again. But once I do, I want to follow through on many of the ideas I've had. I hope interviews are a big part of that. There are many people I'd like to talk to here. Colleagues, friends, people whose work I admire, or who I just find interesting. I mean, I at least have to get the actor Ian Castleberry on here, right? The far more famous, handsome, and fit Ian Castleberry can currently be seen on Netflix's On My Block, now in its third season. It's a conversation that's needed to happen for years. With so many of us communicating on Zoom and Skype now, it seems like it'd be wasting an opportunity not to use those channels to invite some guests for a conversation. And that's the podcast. Feels like we've gotten to the end of this one. Again, we just had to get back at it. I mean, I didn't even get to Adam Schlesinger, who died a couple of weeks ago from COVID-19 complications. Fountains of Wayne is one of my favorite bands, but Schlesinger has done so much more than that, which we'll get into next time. The cast of That Thing You Do, for which Schlesinger wrote the title song and earned an Academy Award nomination for it, reunited this past weekend, 24 years later, for a live stream watch-along in tribute to Schlesinger and to raise money for Music Hairs, with proceeds going to help musicians affected by the coronavirus crisis. It was fun to watch the movie again that way. Thank you for listening to this return of the podcast. If you haven't, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You might have to search under my name, Ian Castleberry, again, that's C-A-S-S-E-L-B-E-R-R-Y, because I should have come up with a better name for this thing. A rating and review would be very helpful, especially if they're positive. 
The podcast can also be found on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, which I think has replaced Google Play. If I'm wrong on that, please let me know. TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Overcast, virtually everywhere podcasts are available. And if you use a different app other than those I just mentioned, please let me know. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at the podcast. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-S. As I said earlier, I appreciate all of you who have checked in at that Facebook page, even while we are on hiatus. And if you prefer email for feedback, send us a message at thepodcasts at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right, I'm probably forgetting something because it's been a while since I've done this. But hopefully you are staying strong, staying healthy, and staying safe. Please take care of yourselves. Keep staying home if you can. Keep washing your hands. Keep maintaining proper social distance. Keep wearing masks outside. Although I don't see enough people around here wearing masks. Wear gloves when you must. Help out anyone in need if and when you can. We'll get through this and be okay eventually. (laughs) 